0: Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that gives you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes, Mookie Alexander, and Victor Rodriguez.
1: Welcome back and thank you for listening to episode 149 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes and I'm joined by Mookie Alexander and Victor Rodriguez. And today we'll be discussing Conor McGregor's latest diatribe about his loss to Dustin Poirier. Misha Tate's thoughts on dating coaches, Tiago Santos and Magomed Ankalaev being targeted to headline a March UFC event, and we'll be looking at the best fight from UFC Vegas 43. But before we get into all that, let's check in with the guys and see how their weeks have been.
0: Uh, my week's been all right. Uh, the Seahawks suck, but at least the Blazers won on Wednesday night, so at least I got that going for me. And also, uh, I'm eager to see Bud Crawford versus Sean Porter. That's going to be my big thing for Saturday night, not the USC, but the USC fights aren't that bad. I think that uh, there are a couple of under the radar matchups, including one that we will pick on the main card that really should be entertaining. But then after this week, we get the holidays and I- I'm grateful
2: for that. Well, well, there's plenty to be grateful for. I'm grateful to be doing this with you, not Not the listeners though. They they don't. I don't like that too much. But you guys, you guys are cool. Yeah, man, we got we got some good. This is a sneaky good card though. I I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe because I'm like a nerd about this, but there's a lot to like, and I'm sure we're gonna get to that later. But yeah, this is great.
1: All right. Well, I am having a pretty good week. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the fights this weekend, but like Mookie, I'm more excited about the boxing than the UFC, but also to go along with what Victor said, this is a sneaky good card, and I am looking forward to a few of the fights that are on here, more than a few. There's some really good fights on this card. It's just that they seem like they're a little light on paper, but in practice, I'm sure they're going to be fantastic. But anyways, let's go ahead and jump into the news. And once again, Conor McGregor is back making headlines. And this time it is for a series of tweets he put out earlier in the week stating that he knew his leg was compromised heading into his trilogy fight against Dustin Poirier, which he said is why he'd been preparing ahead of time to spend time on his back. (laughs) I'm sorry, but that's just too funny to me. Uh, On Wednesday, he posted this series of messages to Twitter. And I'm just going to go through the whole slew of them and then we'll break them down. In my last camp, I had a severely damaged leg. Many of my sessions consisted of starting an open guard bottom and staying there. Full rounds remaining on bottom. I was beating people up until they backed away from me. It then translated to the fight. True story. Same leg, same spot. I attribute it to why I wasn't in as much shock as Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva were. I knew something may happen in advance. Chris was upset with my quote, felt I was aiming at him. I was not. If any... This is funny. If any constellation to my reaction, it was because I had a heads up, it may snap. Now, I'm sure he meant if any constellation, but it's funny that it came out constellation. His head, now, then he starts talking about How, despite the leg injury he felt like he was doing really good work uh, against Poirier during the opening round and he says and I quote his head was sore my leg was sore I feel good on that not to say his leg wasn't busted up either though I had that thigh well minced I feel it's just simply not settled yet is the fairest response that I can give Really nasty elbows and upkicks for sure. That or maybe a really annoying blue bottle was around him after the fight, lol. Make no mistake, they are not looking forward to what is coming. I will be back and it will be settled once and for all. Yes, he did get in a few good licks. I'm not going to deny him that. It shows on Dustin's face. He did post video with circles around the areas where that he he touched him up a little bit. Yes, he did kick him a whole heck of a lot, too. You can see that he was training that. I, I won't deny him that either. But at the same time, it is like Conor McGregor refuses to believe that he lost fair and square you lost due to an injury, just like many, many countless fighters before you have lost due to injury. Now, if the positions were reversed and it had been Dustin Poirier that broke his leg, and not Connor, Connor would be claiming this victory and riding off into the sunset with his arms raised high, claiming that he was the conqueror of the free world. And that is the, the long and the short of this. Uh, all these excuses and explanations that are constantly streaming from him, it's just pointless in my opinion, because we can all see what's going on here. You lost. Accept it. Embrace it. Get back in the gym. Do better. Stay out of the headlines for dumb shit. That's all I have to say.
0: Well, I've, I've been ignoring Connor for quite a bit the last few weeks. You notice know, when we did Mookie and Cricket, I did not once bring up that stupid-ass-looking uh, him walking and pacing <laughs> back and forth in front of the TV when Max Holloway was in the cage for the Yair fight. I mean, that that that's that's some sad sad shit uh but this is also sad and pathetic but he does this after every loss it mm-hmm. feels like but it just looks even worse now that he's actually got a losing skid going you know part of his character now and i don't know if this is if this is really just who he is it almost feels like he, he's got a little bit of uh, Tommy Flanagan in him. If you remember SNL in the 80s and John Lovitz had this pathological liar character, <laughs> Tommy Flanagan. Yes. And he just come up with these most absurd lies. And, you know, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. That's the ticket. That's pretty much Connor in a, in a nutshell. And this is the second time he's gone with this, this whole leg thing that he knew it was compromised. And yet... He was kicking like there was no tomorrow in that fight. Mm-hmm. So you knew it. I knew the risk, but I wanted to make it worse. Now, as far as the, the whole training, knowing that he'd be on his back for an extended period of time. Yeah, there were some shots that he got in. But uh, Poirier was pretty close to stopping Connor with his own shots from ground and pound. Yeah. And I believe there were a couple of strikes that Connor had off of his back that were illegal or actually at the very minimum. He was grabbing the gloves while he was on his back. So it was also preparing to cheat, if you want to go that way. But these are just the ramblings of somebody who knows that his time in the spotlight is fading, and that uh, the time is five fourteen, and he's got one more minute of fame. <laughs> I'm gonna. I, that's a that's a line ripped from the late great Patrice O'Neill from Tough Crowd.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes,
2: indeed. Hey, Patrice, rest in peace. Uh, look, I, I I didn't. I was hoping we would actually avoid talking about the. Uh, The little stare down thing, the walk. All I'm going to say about it is, look, we've all been there, man. We've all been guilty of it. You know what I'm saying? You just, you, you, you put those cookies in the toaster oven. Because you know that another five minutes, that edible is going to hit real hard like a Mack truck. And you just re- You just waiting. You got the cold glass of milk in the fridge and you just just pacing. You just know like I'm going to embrace destiny. I'm going to let my liver process this and send me to Pluto. No longer a planet. That's right. But no, uh, uh, this this thing here, this little doohickey with the with the Twitter thing. Look, man, I, I mean, what do you do at this point? What do you do at this point? I, 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 I joked around with the thing, with the walk around at the Holloway thing, but I think that ties into this in a way. Because it's, it's – it, it, there's this little dust up here between Sonnen and McGregor. You know, Sonnen took him to task for doing that. And, and this is a similar element. This is a, a yet another symptom of the same thing, this desperation. You know, This is where you know that there is, there is a, a, a very pronounced fall from grace happening. You know how I know that? Because what was the thing that he was always saying? I'm the A-side. You call me out. Now he's chasing people left and right. He's talking shit about going back to 145 to fight. Maybe, you know what? He wants to fight Max Holloway again, or he'd be down to fight Max Holloway again. Maybe he doesn't have to go down to 145. Maybe Max could come up. But what are you doing calling a guy out when you shit all over him since you beat him in the past? You've given him respect now that there's some distance, but then you think, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I I don't need to I don't need to go back to 145. I need to go back to revisit rematch somebody that I've already beaten. And now you're doing this. And now he's calling out all these other people. He's he's been making all this noise about going to 170 and fighting Usman for what? What is this accomplish? And this is just the stuff that he puts out preemptively. Man, this is a reaction again. For what? You could have taken this loss with some element some some just an, a modicum of grace you could have said yeah you know what got me that night there was an injury whatever you know it's it's just what it is and, and we're just going to move on and we're going to work harder and just keep your head down and keep it moving you didn't see Anderson Silva do this with Chris Weidman you didn't see him threaten people's families right and look I get not everybody is the same clearly different temperaments and all but this is just so so lame and you when you're surrounded by this many yes men and when you are part of a machine that relies so heavily on you to move ahead and, and to, to be successful, although you can make your – we've had conversations in the past of how much the UFC truly needs McGregor. I'm sure they appreciate having him, but at this point, they don't really – he's not as essential to their operations. But when you have that that level of enabling going on from all these parties – what are we really trying to have happen here? What, Where does anyone step in? Does anyone step in at all? Or do they, do they just simply keep things going? And if they don't, if no one intervenes, which I'm not sure anyone can get through to him, where does this even go next? What's going to be the next stunt? Now we're just waiting for it. It's bad enough. It's bad enough that he's jumping in, ruining everybody's shine on fight night by going to Twitter and immediately talking about whatever fight just took place and how he would have done better or whatever the case might be. But now he's doing these things. He's making these excuses. He's retconning history. I just, I just wish that he would just, st- you know, sometimes, like I said with the John Jones thing, logging off is free, but he refuses to do it because to be irrelevant is worse to him than being dead. And he doesn't care. And he's not going to stop this. And it doesn't help at all. If anything, I feel like it diminishes his standing in the view of fans and. Clearly, the more mainstream people who don't pay attention to this on a granular level like we do, they're probably not going to make too much hay out of this. But come on, man. Does does this make anyone look forward to seeing him fight again in any way?
1: No, except for maybe I would like to see him lose again. (laughs) (laughs) I can't help it because he's such an annoying, obnoxious, just generally foul person that I, I find it hard to want anything positive to happen to him. You know, he he cheats on his girl and that's there's video and plenty of evidence of that. He's been accused of sexual assault. Been, he's a cute, been accused multiple times. He assaults people, old men, young men. It doesn't matter. He assaults people constantly. Uh, he seems like he has zero impulse control and is just generally a shitty human being.
2: Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right, really. I mean, look, him cheating on his wife, like normally that kind of situation, I think that's between him and his lady. And I don't really I don't hold that so much. I don't judge so much from the outside because I've seen a lot of weird shit in my life, but all the other stuff involved, plus this, like we're talking about this and, and we've let him slide in, in some ways or rather not us necessarily because we've at least held his feet to a, to, to the fire uh, regarding all those things. But the, the media at large and as far as people outside of the sport, they've let him slide on everything else and yet still here we are. I just It just doesn't – I'm really surprised that this hasn't become something much more tragic already than what it is. If anything, it's more of a slow motion uh, thing, like a slow burn.
0: Well, ain't it the story that we have McGregor and Jones, two of the biggest stars in the UFC, and certainly McGregor the biggest star in UFC history, but their time away from the spotlight, you know, Jones hasn't been losing fights although certainly you could make the case for a couple of instances he should have lost <laughs> his belt by now he's yeah. actually been losing jones vacated his belt, and he's got all, all all of his issues outside the cage but the two of them and the way they handle not being in the spotlight for every waking second is juvenile at best and just downright awful at worst
2: that is absolutely true. That is very awful. And again, you can only just have some desire that maybe some way they're able to turn things around. But as uh, as much of an optimist, at least as I want to be sometimes, it ain't looking too bright. <clears throat> but we're going to move from one unfortunate situation to another where we will actually get back to Aspen Ladd. Now, you may remember in her previous bout, her last outing, there was a good amount of uh, concern regarding her cornerman head coach and the manner in which he was talking to her between rounds and how uh, that was perceived. And, of course, as a reaction to that, Misha Tate had some things to say, and a lot of people took exception to that. I mean, Misha Tate's kind of, um, for quite a few years now, has, I believe, been fairly uh, unfairly rather maligned uh, by a lot of people and taking exception to things. But the substance of what she said made a lot of sense. And earlier this week on the MMA Met Hour, She reiterated – goodness, I'm tongue-tied today. She reiterated her stance and, well, here's what she said. Quote, people think that I'm crazy because they look at it and say, well, the coach needed to be the coach and he needed to be hard on her and he needed to tell her the truth. Yeah, you're right. But there's a difference between motivating and there's a difference between giving her the body language, just the two little – the little two-finger shove on her shoulder to kind of get her to focus on him. You don't understand when you break that down exactly what that means and what's going on in that relationship. Uh, When she says relationship, we do need to mention Aspen Ladd's head coach is also her boyfriend. So the dynamics here and what Tate was getting at, the root of her argument was how that looks in terms of the domineering nature or at least the uh, perception that that could lead to in a dynamic such as this one. And I'm going to continue with what Tate said here. People just see this one little glimpse, and I'm looking at this from someone who's been on the outside in the big picture, and I think she failed to show up more so probably due to outside factors than what you saw in the fight. It's hard for people to understand that unless you've been there. Now, here is really the meat of what she was getting to, and I think that uh, it made a lot of sense here where she's able to cinch it. Absolutely, especially your lead coach. I would absolutely say you don't want that. And that's where Johnny, her fiance slash husband, whatever it may be now, and I differ very much from what I was used to in that. Yes, he's in my corner. He's a part of my camps. He does teach me things sometimes, but I see us as equals. And I think he recognizes that too. Sometimes I show him things. We don't have someone who's in charge of the other one. We are just there to support each other because it's difficult when someone always gets to be the boss of you. And that translates over into the personal life too, where you just start to feel like you lose yourself because where do you draw the line? Where's the difference? If someone always gets to be the boss of you and it's 24-7, pretty sure you're swallowed up in that, especially if you're not with the right person to give you that guidance. It's a very tricky thing to do. I don't think very many people are able to make a head coach relationship. And it's always women. It's always women that end up dating their head coach. We haven't seen, haven't really seen it in reverse, so I'm not sure what that would look like in the reverse, but I can speak from my situation that for the most part it was detrimental and the longer it went on, it was detrimental. Hey We've seen a few examples of this already. Ladd is perhaps the loudest example of it. We do have people like, well, we're going to be talking about her, I assume, in the uh, preview for this weekend's card. You know, Joanne Calderwood has dropped the Calder. She's now Joanne Wood marrying her coach, John Wood. Uh, you know, some people have problems with that sort of thing. Some people don't necessarily think that it's uh, – a very healthy situation when there is a, a degree of, of intimacy with that. Now, there are couples that have been able to make things like this work, but in my experience, at least personally from what I've seen, I kind of have to side with Misha here. It's always been situations where it's not the head coach. You know, It's one thing for your jiu-jitsu coach, your striking coach to be your partner and having uh, someone in your corner who's just giving you some pointers and all that, but not have someone who is actually giving you a directive who is leading lead who was in charge of this whole situation? And the manner in which this manifested in that Lad fight had a lot of people worried. Now, for his part, and we do need to be fair. Lad's coach did apologize later on. He did say, uh, did mention that he didn't feel that he carried himself in a proper manner and he promised to do better. That is something that we have yet to see. Uh, we'll have to find out when Lad eventually fights next time around. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of scrutiny on him when that happens. But, folks, what do we think about Tate's statements here? I mean, is she on the money with it, and do you think that this should be something of a um, that'll raise awareness and resonate with uh, viewers or people that follow the sport as far as looking at these things, at these particular situations, and calling it out when it happens?
1: She is absolutely on the money, one hundred percent. And you mentioned JoJo called her Wood Wood. <laughs> uh, this is not her first relationship with a coach. The whole reason why she left Scotland and came to the United, the United States was because she had been involved with her coach over there yeah. and came over here when they split up. I mean, it was a very ugly split up and she went through a lot of stuff. I believe... She even got a tattoo that is sort of commemorated their breakup and how, how hard it was on her, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that, but I'm almost positive that she has mentioned that in the past, but she came over to the United States and almost immediately, um, picked up a relationship as soon as she got here with another coach. And they made it, they clearly made it work because they've been together for about four, three, four years. I think about four years, they've been engaged for almost two. Now they're married. I hope that it works out for them because I I want them to be happy. But I think that dynamic is a real hard one to maintain when you work together you live together and one of you is in charge of the other Misha really hit that right on the head and I think that Other couples have experienced issues like that as well. Um, Henry Aiken was Ronda Rousey's coach for a little bit, and they dated for a while. It did not work out. There are a lot of couples out there that are experiencing the same thing or have experienced the same thing. I feel pretty bad for Aspen Ladd, and I'm not a fan of hers, but I feel bad for her because of the situation she's in, because she's been over there training with, uh, what's his face since she was 15 years old. And I feel like there was some grooming going on there. I read an interview that he did and the way he talked about her made me think that there was some grooming going on. And you almost have to look at it that way because she started training there when she was 15. And as soon as she was of age, they were dating. So that kind of power dynamic with a young girl, especially, Boy, that's just a recipe for disaster, and from what we could see and hear of the cornering he was giving her, that that, it seems like it was kind of disastrous, and I can't imagine what it was like at home for them. Especially for her, I don't really care about him, but for her, I, I can imagine what it must have been like. So, if any women out there that train are are paying attention at all, Misha seems to have a good head on her shoulders and uh, appears to know what she's talking about because she herself has been in the situation before as well. Lucky,
0: yeah, that's a. That, that's a major thing to bring up is that Tate's was romantically linked with uh, Brian Carraway. Uh But we know that the, the Jess Coast story when when it was Caraway was it uh, Tate told Caraway to Jess Coast for the Mizugaki Tate, fight, right? Right. Yeah.
1: But he acted <laughs> as her trainer Yep. more than she acted. She was in his corner, but she didn't act as his trainer. He did fill the role of her trainer, especially when she was at Extreme Couture.
0: Mhm. Yep. And and that's a major thing to point out. And of course, they're no longer together. And it was quite contentious. In fact, is, is I believe Caraway had some sort of the legal problem where where he, he allegedly <laughs> stole the ATV yeah. from Tate's
2: property. <laughs> and he reported it stolen. Yeah. That that uh, he that among a few other problems. Yeah. He uh, he he landed a few really elite level scumbag boyfriend moves on the way out.
0: Yes. And and we're well aware of his reputation just on the Ultimate Fighter alone and then everything else beyond that so of course you mentioned uh steffi you did about um lad being with jim west and or or jim west Mm -hmm. knowing Ladd since she was 15 and the grooming thing there so it's kind of kind of uh similar to what pat barry and rose Yunus have have gone through but namayunis's head trainer unmistakably is trevor whitman
1: yes because
0: whitman is part of a major camp but but Arthur there Lads. was a
1: point where pat was her trainer and mm-hmm. she has she even said in an interview that she they they had to pull away from that dynamic of their relationship because it was really really putting a lot of strain on her and so mm-hmm. that's why um it started when they were at uh when she was w- with uh, rufus duke, duke rufus yes yeah. and then they left there and they were kind of in limbo so it was just pat training her for a while and and it put so much strain on her that they felt compelled to find a trainer to take that pressure off of her and at that you know you have to look at it like from her point of view too i mean she knew to find another trainer to preserve her mental health and possibly preserve their relationship whatever but yes i do feel some grooming was going on there too because they've been together for more than 10 years it's been i believe pat berry says they've been together since 2009 or 2010 and that would put her right around 15 16 uh, no it'd be about Ooh. 16 years old 16 or 17 Eesh. yeah and so um you know i feel like some grooming might have been going there going on there too if those dates are correct because he says that those that that's how long it's been she says she feels like it hasn't been that long now i don't know if that's a protective measure that she's erected up to to wall them off from scrutiny but to hear him tell it they've been together for longer than she's been legal
0: Mm -hmm. So you you look at the the lad West dynamic and with the way that West corner that fights now, the context is really key because it's not like we haven't seen corners just be very abrasive towards their fighters and have no romantic relationship whatsoever or or anything beyond just coach for versus, you know, coach and and students coach and fighter, whatever you want to use. But because of what we know between lad and West. And the way that he came off and his subsequent apology, it makes you feel quite uneasy with the way that he handled everything in that fight. Because he wasn't 100% wrong in the way that Tate, uh, sorry, not Tate, um, that lad approached the fight against uh, Norma Dumont. But could have used better tact and then very rarely gave actual constructive criticism. And Stephanie and I mentioned it before. Let's use a, a previous example of Mackenzie Dern against uh, Marina Rodriguez. Now, Mackenzie Dern is not uh, in a relationship with her coach, um, Jason Perillo, Perillo, right? Yeah. But Perillo was getting on Dern for certain things that she did in the fight, some tactical errors. But the way in which he went upon giving Dern appropriate advice was way different than how West did it with Aspen Ladd. And circling back to Tate's main point, um, it, it's not a, a, a blanket statement necessarily, but I don't think that she's wrong at all, especially in a sport like this or any individual sport where you have a working relationship and a romantic relationship. and there's always the aspects of potential control when you're together for a long time.
2: Yeah, it, it just it's just never a good look. No matter what, you know. I mean, like you, you mentioned uh, Dern and all that. Like, yeah, her husband's not a fighter or anything, but they like they train together. That's perfectly fine, right? There's no No,
1: Dern's husband is a surfer. They they don't train no. together at all. No,
2: no, but I mean like they train for fun together. Like I've seen him, you know, uh hitting pads and stuff like they'll do that recreationally, you know. He does he does like a little bit of that on the side, but not for fights, not for camps, you know. So that's like, you know, that, that's that's fine. There's no there's no you don't really feel like there's any danger of anything like this happening. So uh, I, yeah, that, but all these other situations, man, they're dicey. It's it's really, really such a problem. But I don't know, man. I, I just I, – I don't want to give him too much credit. But West at least said some of the right things on the way in, in his apology. So uh, his actions will have to uh, definitely compensate for that. He'll have to really make up for it and show changed behavior in the next time out. But I – that uh, – yeah, I, I, if, if this continues, man, there's there's going to be some real concerns there. Absolutely. More concerns, more than there are now, I should say.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, we do have some fights to talk about. Well, a fight to talk about that looks to be set in stone for March the 12th. It's a light heavyweight fight between tiago santos and magomed Ankalaev. this was first reported by espn uh i believe this would be Ankalaev's first ever ufc main event in fact it is he is coming off a win over volkan uzdemir at ufc 267 whereas santos uh had a win over johnny walker that everybody would like to forget it was just a bad bad fight but at least he got a win he ended his losing skid so y- you look at the rankings and Ankalaev and santos are both in the top 10. It seems like a logical fight. I mean, Ankalev's only loss in the UFC was that crazy ending against Paul Craig where Craig was absolutely nailed on to lose a decision. And then he got in the the triangle choke with one second left. But since then, Ankalayev has won seven in a row. Whereas, I, as I mentioned earlier, Santos had a three-fight losing streak. Uh, the John Jones fight, you certainly could have given that fight to him lackluster showing against Rakic and then he was submitted by Glover Teixeira but against Johnny Walker no doubt that he won that and he's much better conclusively at 205 compared to 185 so how are you feeling about this fight it's a, it's a five rounder and we know Santos is a, is a serious danger on the feet but Ankaliev is a threat everywhere
1: I love this fight I think it's fantastic and I think I, I favor Ankoliyev in it, actually. Um, but it, it's a fantastic fight, and it's a it's a good name for Ankoliyev to springboard off of and, and possibly get himself in title contention. I don't know if it'll put him right in this spot, but it will certainly maybe get his next fight. If he wins this one, his next fight might be a title eliminator. And I like it. I cannot... Emphasize that enough. This is an exciting matchup. I hope it does happen.
2: Yeah, I hope they make it to their, you know, in one piece. (laughs) It's a long ways away. (laughs) I, I kind of feel bad. Like, damn, I really want to see this fight, but oh, the dreaded injuries, the dreaded Rona, like, you don't know what the hell might happen. Um, I kind of feel like much like chocolate owl uh, was a thing. it was a, a bit of an earlier meme. I think that uh, Uncle Iev should probably be a new one. Uh, I think it fits quite well. that's just what it like keeps popping up in my head. Uncle Iev, my favorite uncle uh wow yeah this this is good because Santos uh, after the knees have been fixed, not quite looking the same. I don't know if it's uh, differences uh stylistically with the opponents that he's been facing as of late or what exactly, but um. Uh, Hmm. Uncle I might take it, man. I don't know. I'm i am not going to make a definitive pick now, but I definitely want to see it. This is good. And that's very rare for us to say that with light heavyweight fights, but we've been seeing a newer crop emerge and make us say that more often. I'm the, the fight
0: itself is is good. I am not 100 percent certain this is going to be an exciting fight because this is very, very dependent on how aggressive Santos wants to be because Santos is not necessarily comfortable leading, and Ankalaev doesn't like to lead at all. But if Santos wants to lead, those two both can throw with serious power. We know how heavy Santos's kicks are, and Ankalaev was able to drop Uzdemir, but he kind of he, he beat the will out of Uzdemir in the first round to the point where Uzdemir, normally such an aggressive fighter, was very hesitant to let his hands go for the rest of that fight. And you don't normally see that out of Volkan. But in general, Ankalaev is a strong dude. He is extremely strong. He's hard to take down. He can take you down. He's got serious power uh, with his hands and his kicks. So if Ankalaev wins this, because this is there's a lot more at stake for him than for Santos, he's got to be considered a threat to be a title challenger in 2022. I mean, this fight's happening next year, but still Prohaska is the most logical next title challenger. He, he'll take on Glover Teixeira. But after that... I don't think anybody's itching to see Rakic in a, in a title fight anytime soon. Anthony Smith is, is kind of just hovering around. He He's there, but not quite in title shot territory yet. And Glover winning is bad for him because Glover just bludgeoned him not too long ago. So that leaves you with Ankalaev. So actually, when you think about it, it's not inconceivable that if Ankalaev wins this, he could get
2: the winner of Teixeira Prohaska, and that'd be totally fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Sure. Why not? What the hell else you got going on? Let's make it happen. Go ahead. Well, we're going to move right along. But before we continue to the next topic, I want to mention one of the more uh, recent joys in my life, and that is uh, courtesy of our Bloody Elbow moderator and good buddy, Derek Schott, who has suggested for many, many years now that I watch Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, it's on Netflix now, and it's super amazing. It's so, so, like, I was surprised at how fun it is. It's not grade A television. It's not Doom Patrol, you know, but it's thoughtful and it's well made. And it's pretty amazing because you got a couple of um unlikely allies teaming up to fight in a future Against a uh, immortal warlord that is able to, uh, in a future corporatized America, take over everything and have an entire just just this massive bloodbath in which he will rule with an iron fist, which is why I'd like to remind you that we are on Amazon Music for no particular reason. I just want to mention that you can rate and subscribe and leave a review and all that other good stuff. I mean, hey, the supply chain might slow down your deliveries this year, but at least at least you'll have us. So Amazon Music, be sure to check us out. Okay, so now that we got the pleasantries and paid our bills, we are going to address the matter of what has um, – excuse me – the situation now with uh, Gilbert Burns, who stands near the top of the welterweight division. See, here's the thing. We have a little bit of a problem called Hamzat Shemaev, who has truly cemented his status as the next big thing. And, well, now he's aiming a little higher than some people might have—well, a little sooner than people might have anticipated. Currently ranked at number 10, Shemaev is targeting someone within target distance of the champion Kamaru Usman. Well, number one, Colby Covington just lost to Usman. But who's number two? Gilbert Burns. And you see, here's the rub, right? Gilbert Burns is uh, has been asked about the possibility of fighting Shemaev with uh, the reputation that he's accrued and the performances that he's brought forth. And it turns out that, well, yeah, Gilbert is down to do it. Here's what he said. I don't think I'll fight him while he's ranked at number 10. I think he'll fight one more time and winning against the top five or six, getting closer to the top five, I'd fight him. No problem at all. Top 10, I wouldn't fight him. But that's me fighting against myself. Top 10 doesn't make sense, but I want to fight. So it's complicated. I've asked to fight Neil Magny many times. who's was around number nine. And the UFC didn't want to give me this fight because of the ranking situation. So they won't even offer me thumbs up because they just said they wouldn't give me Neil Magny because of the rankings. But man, I want to fight so bad. It would be hard for me to say no to a fight. Uh, yeah. OK, Gilbert, honey, baby, I love you. I'm going to pat you on the head condescendingly and I'm gonna explain this to you. It just doesn't make sense for them. Now, what would make sense for them would be to have, again, their next big thing, take on a guy who's got number two plastered all over him and hotshot him to a title situation where they know that they can make a lot of noise and a lot of money. And guess what? Gilbert Burns fighting Neil Magny? I don't know really what that does to most people. Clearly, Burns wants to fight Magny because he sees that there's a good opportunity for him to put on a great performance. But you're still fighting backwards because you're number two taking on now number eight. That's not really mathing much, is it? It's just not playing out the way he thinks it will. It's not going to impress the brass, and it's not going to get him into a rematch situation with Usman anytime soon. But maybe a win with Chibayev does, or maybe that doesn't put him in their good graces because he'd be spoiling the party. Not sure. I guess it depends on how it plays out. I think the problem here has been the following. It's been the cudgel. It's been the sword of Damocles. It's been the same thing we've talked about. The rankings are a blessing for the UFC because they get to use it arbitrarily however and whenever they feel like using it. Because look, Neil Magny, if he were the one clamoring for a fight with Burns, you know that wouldn't happen. But for Chemayev, you know they'll make that exception. In fact, it wouldn't even be an exception because this is just the cost of doing business. It's how they usually do things anyway. Do you think this fight actually gets made now that Gilbert Burns has been making all this noise and brought it up on himself, essentially? And if so, I mean, really, what, what does the rest of the division look like then? How does this affect anything?
1: I think that it could be made. I think that the UFC would probably be salivating over this. The reason why they're saying no to Neil Magny is because that fight will probably be a dud. Because Neil Magny is not always an exciting fighter. As a matter of fact, he's rarely an exciting fighter. He's a dominant fighter when he's winning but he's not overly exciting. I mean, this is the guy that landed 1,000 million trillion punches on Hector Lombard. I I had to struggle to remember if he even finished him or not because that's the only exciting moment that I can remember from a Neil Magny fight. They don't want to fight like that because Neil Magny is not a name no matter what he does. What they want is uh, Chimaev to fight somebody like Gilbert Burns, and I think Gilbert Burns is uh, a Maybe not looking at this the right way. Victor, you said it perfectly. Definitely not looking at this the right way. Um, Maybe it's Gilbert Burns that's not accepting of it. But let's, let's think back for a second. Michael Bisping's only title defense after he won the belt was to a number 13 teen dan henderson so stranger things have happened than a number two guy fighting a number 10 guy i don't see a problem with it if they want to make it please let's make it that's a great fight to make
0: burns versus magni in a hypothetical situation is a very bad matchup for magni because he's lost that fight too many times happened against maya happened against los angeles Uh, Gilbert Burns has got good enough wrestling and and the striking to blend that together that he can take Magni down and just make him his grappling dummy and that'd be the end of the fight but Burns versus Chimaev that would be a huge benefit for Chimaev I think it could be a benefit for Burns as well now that Chimaev has beaten Jing Liang and therefore validated himself as a top 15 welterweight so that's a rising star Uh, it's a fight that would have a lot of intrigue because if Chimaev wants to take Burns down do it at your own peril because we saw what happened when Damian Maya had Gilbert Burns on his back for a brief moment I think he even mounted him and Burns just reversed him got back to his feet and knocked out Maya and that was the end of that I mean Gilbert Burns is a complete fighter he's a damn good fighter it'll only take the absolute elite to beat him and Kamaru Usman would be one of them and he gave Usman a scare in the opening round so from Burns's side even though he's not totally committed to a Chimaev fight, if the UFC offered that, I think it'd be hard to say no. It would certainly be a main event caliber fight or a fight that would be uh, suitable as a five-rounder non-title fight on, on a pay-per-view as a co-main or something. So uh, th- there are more options for Chimaev, I would say, because, of course, he just fought fewer top guys than Burns. Uh, but I would not be opposed to Burns versus Chimaev at all. I feel like it's a type of fight where if Chimaev wins, it doesn't necessarily mean an automatic title shot but it means that the hype is more than real.
1: For sure.
2: I, I mean, I, so. think,
1: I think we've already determined that the hype is very much real.
2: That's true. Mm -hmm. But this would this would like leave, you know, for the few naysayers or doubters out there like, okay this guy is operating on a level that, you know, this these are the the goods that we have been sold are in the bag. Like it's it would be one of those situations. You're not just knocking off a number two. It's a very tough number two. And now you got a lot of, uh, you know, hypotheticals and intrigue and interest in in, a fight against Usman It's a fresh challenger, too. So, yeah, I I totally agree.
0: I'm very, very proud of myself that all of these number two references. I've not made a single juvenile joke. Mm. All right, let's get to the uh, predictions for this And But before we do that, as I just took a sip of some apple juice, let me promote Apple Podcasts. See how that works, ladies and gentlemen? All right, so you go to Apple Podcasts through your iPhone or, or, or some other device, and then you search for us by typing in Bloody Abel Presents in the search bar. You'll find us. You'll hit that subscribe button. You can leave a review if you like, and you will get free podcast content most days of the week. So... You got USC Vegas 43 as the big event of Saturday on the MMA side of things. But what happened last week? Well, Steffi won the week 5-1. and one. Victor and I went 4-2. and two. The only fight that tripped up Steffi was Ben Rothwell versus Marcos Solgera de Lima. And don't worry, because it tripped up Herb Dean as well. Uh, but, Victor, you picked de Lima, so you got that going for you. But uh, what really won Steffi the week was picking Chaos Williams over Miguel Baiza. Mm. And, boy, that was a hell of a knockout.
2: Yeah, that was marvelous. I mean, that was <laughs> that was so impressive, man. Chaos keeps doing it. That was that was dope. This is
0: a chaos that we can get behind. Anyway, um Cyborg got the win over Sunade Kavanaugh, so we, we got that right. Uh the other fights Victor, you picked Tulio Arce over Song of Dawn. That did not go well. We all got Felicia Spencer over Leah Letson. Correct. And uh, Max Holloway did the damn thing against Yair Rodriguez, but he really had to work for it. And I'm sure he was he he, he felt McGregor's energy through the TV. <laughs> and that's why he was willed to victory. He, he just had that extra motivation. But anyway, the standing, Steffi is in first at one twenty nine seventy six and 5. I'm in second at one twenty five eighty and 5. I'm only two ahead of Victor, who's at one twenty three eighty two and 5, for those of you who are very poor at arithmetic. So UFC Vegas 43 has got Misha Tate and Ketlin Vieira in the main event. In fact, there are a couple of fights here that were rescheduled from last month because of positive COVID tests. So um, we are going to start with a fight that is freshly booked for this card, main card opener, Adrian Yanez against Davy Grant. This is the fight that I alluded to without referencing it uh, overtly. I think this could be fight of the night.
1: It will be fight of the night. And I am in the bag for Adrian Yanez, but Davy Grant is a tough one. This is going to be... This is going to be Mount Everest for him. And I don't know if he's got the wind in his lungs to be able to get up there. I, hmm. I think I'm going to take Davy Grant. And it kills me to do that because I really, really like Adrian Yanez a lot. But I think that Davy Grant is the more complete fighter. And I think that his wrestling is going to be able to work this thing out. So, yeah, I'm going to take Davy Grant.
2: It sucks that one of these dudes gotta lose. Yeah. It really does, because good God. You just see what these dudes have done. Just looking at Yanya's first his his run in LFA, right? He's had some he had some really amazing performances there. His kicking in the door, waving the four four contender series, that was beautiful. And then he defeated a guy named Victor Rodriguez, which will always make me chuckle. I'm sorry, I can't help it. Um uh, that win over Gustavo Lopez was good because a lot of people who haven't seen Lopez before, I mean, that was a tough one out. Randy Costa, that's another one, another tough prospect. So these are like really, really good dudes that these guys have been both uh, winning against. And, you know, the road in the UFC has been a little rockier for Grant, uh, Having a couple of losses, but you look at his wins, man. You look at the win against Marlon Vera back in 2016, right? It's a, it was a different, uh, it was a different Marlon. But look, it was it, they were both coming up and, and growing in this whole situation. Uh, Popov, maybe that's not the most impressive name for a lot of people now, but then you look in his last three, and um, man, look, there's no loss, there's no, uh, there's no shame in losing to 2021 Marlon Vera. But uh, that's actually a, a loss that has aged very well for him in this situation. Martin Day, Jonathan Martinez, another pair of up and comers that very tough, very good. And so these both of these dudes, a lot of finishes on their records, both pretty fast, very athletic. I think I mean like I, my 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 brain's going with Grant, but I kind of feel like Yanya's might pull off the upset here. So I'm still I'm going to stick with Grant.
0: This is such a difficult fight because of this newfound knockout power that Davey Grant has discovered because that wasn't really his game. We knew him as a pretty active submission grappler who could strike, but certainly not somebody that you would be terrified of on the feet. And that Marlon Vera fight, it showed a couple of things. One, how damn tough he is because Marlon was absolutely taking it to him with everything and Vera couldn't put him away. And also that Grant's Certainly tattooed Vera on, on a couple of occasions to, to you know, follow up with the fact that he has actual knockout wins over Martin Day and Jonathan Martinez. So the Martin Day fight really doesn't do anything for me, but the Martinez fight, that was impressive. Yanez, he's got serious knockout power as well, and I like the way he counter strikes. Uh, certainly the Randy Costa fight was very entertaining. I'm torn here because, you know, Grant has never been knocked out and Giannis has been winning by knockout seemingly all the time. I feel like at this stage, Grant is the more well-rounded fighter, and we're going to see is grappling and ground game in general get tested here. So I'm going to lean towards Grant, but, boy, th- th- this is not a fight where you're, you're confident one way or the other. So we are all going with Davey Grant, I believe, over Adrian Giannis. So, yeah, we are going with Grant over Yanez. Now, next up... Tyler Santos and Joanne Wood. Not Calderwood anymore or, or even Calderwood Wood. It's just Joanne Wood.
1: I like Tyler Santos here. Uh, Joanne Calderwood Wood. Joanne Wood Wood. She's a mixed bag. There's no other way to put it. And she gets comfortable when she wins a round and feels like she could take the next round off. And I don't like that. I don't like that she likes to rest on her laurels after having what she views as a good round. So I'm going to take Tyler Santos here because she's hungry. She's well-rounded. And I just think that she's got a better a better skill set at this point. So I'm going to take her.
2: I like Wood. I like her uh, situation with her training now. I I, I like seeing the, some of the work that she puts forth. I just don't trust her due to inconsistency. And right now, Tyler Santos is not really lacking in that department. So um, I want to pick Wood, but I can't. I'm going to go with Santos.
0: Yeah. Call, it's going to be take a while for me to not say call the Wood. But Wood, she – was a little unlucky in that Laura Murphy fight because it could have gone either way, but that's kind of the story of her career. There are a lot of fights that could have gone either way for her, and she frequently ends up on the wrong end, and a lot of it is her own doing. Like the Chukagian fight, mm-hmm. for example. I think that's one that she just straight up gave away, and you, you mentioned it. She can be high volume and inconsistent with her volume at the same time. Now, that doesn't sound like it makes any sense, but what I mean is she can land quite a few strikes in one round, and then just taper off in the next round and then pick up again in another round but by then it, it's just too close to call judging wise so with Tyler santos there are two threats for for wood that she has to deal with one that santos is powerful she hasn't been getting knockouts in the UFC, but in the lead up to her UFC career she she was getting knockout wins for fun then the other part is the grappling and the wrestling. And Santos has been a takedown machine. Uh, she, she took down Roxanne Montefiore five times and also hurt her and dropped her uh, on a couple of occasions. And then Molly McCann, she, she out wrestled comfortably as well. So I, I think that she's in a groove and she could be a name to watch in this division. So I'm gonna go with Santos. Wood has a chance that this is like strictly kickboxing but I feel like Santos is just going to mix things up too much and she's not going to be able to cope. So we're all going with Santos over Wood. Now, next up, we picked this fight already. Kyung Ho Kang and Ronnie Yaya. And then I think on the weigh-in day, Yaya tested positive for COVID. So just to refresh, I checked. We all went with Yaya the last time. So uh, are you changing that pick or are you going to stay with it?
1: You know, I want to keep it. I really do. But I don't think I can. I I think I'm going to go with Kang. He's he's going to be so much stronger. I just Oh. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to take Kang. Yep.
2: Listen, of us three, I'm more of the grappling nerd and I don't even care about this fight. Whatever. I'll, ch- I'll switch it to Kang too. Why not? Who cares?
0: Okay, I will stick with Yaya, but I know full well that if this is a high-paced fight and Yaya ends up fading after round 2, nobody's going to be surprised. So um I'm sticking with Yaya, Victor, and Steph here, going with Kang. A lot of grappling, excuse me, that you can expect for the top three fights in this card, in theory, because we know two strikers tend not to wrestle each other. Two grapplers seem to want to strike all the time. So we get to the co-main event, Sean Brady and Michael Chiesa, and this is, a, this is an outstanding fight.
1: It really is. Um... I'm tentatively taking Kiesa here. I uh, I'm in the bag for Kiesa as well. His striking doesn't look too bad anymore, you know. That uh, he he's got quite a bit of pop there, and he seems to be learning as he goes. And then you get you get on the ground, and he's amazing. The one problem I have with Kiesa is he's willing to take insane risks, and he gets submitted every time for it. The submission artist gets submitted every time for sticking his neck out. And and that's literally and figuratively. And that's the one thing that I worry about. But I'm going to pick him because I feel like he's a little bit better than Brady. But I will not be surprised if Brady pulls it out. And I am not confident in this pick.
2: Okay. Well, that's actually a very fair assessment. I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, look, I've seen him do... Uh some training over at extreme couture i've seen him uh improve as well in certain areas especially with his uh this well, i'm referring to his stand-up right not just his 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 striking uh his output but his defense and his movement it's it's been a, a marked improvement and that's good and i'm happy for him and i i actually think that him not just having the experience advantage but just overall being a savvier grappler is probably going to make things Um, A bit of a problem for Brady, who's no slouch. I mean, he's a strong dude, too, but it's just the the level of competition has been different. I think the growing pains have been different. Um, Make no mistake, Sean Brady can absolutely make this happen. He can totally win this fight, and in a big way. And he's also got a good amount of really uh, impressive submissions on his record, too. So that, that stretch of... Kiesa rolling the dice and ending up on the other end of a submission, and it's something that he should be doing. That that can happen here as well. I'm gonna go with Kiesa. I I guess I kind of feel like I have to, but wow, it, I, I I really want to go with Brady, but I'm I'm just not gonna be that reckless this time around.
0: It's interesting. Kiesa had an interview on the MMA Hour earlier in the week, and he talked about the the, the Luke fight and how he said in the heat of the moment. I had a mental lapse. And it, it, it alludes to him being a little overly aggressive trying to submit Luque after getting that dominant position after taking the back so quickly, he said he got there faster than he expected. And um, the the other part of it is that Luque is insanely tough to finish. So the fact that Luque got out of those uh, submissions it doesn't feel all that surprising when you've watched Luque fight. And then, of course, Luque is an outstanding grappler in his own right. He's very opportunistic with the submission. so um sean brady looks big for welterweight and we talk about kiesa looking huge for welterweight having been a former lightweight but we've seen kiesa outgrapple bigger fighters before um i'm i'm torn here because if kiesa has an issue with the strength of brady and this becomes a lot of kickboxing i think brady is the more polished striker than kiesa but if this goes to the ground I feel like we haven't really seen Brady tested all that much against a really, really talented high-end grappler like Chiesa. So if Chiesa can avoid just submission hunting from the start and going with with more positional grappling, and then he can set it up when it's there, I think Chiesa is going to give Sean Brady a lesson. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if Brady got a win here. He he is that good, but I don't think he's quite ready yet. So I'm going to go with Chiesa. By decision. I don't think there will be a finish here, but man, this is a great fight. I wish this was actually five rounds. So we're all picking Kiesa over Brady and feel not the slightest bit confident in it. Now for the main event, what about Misha Tate and Ketlin Vieira? Can Misha keep her comeback trail going smoothly?
1: I believe so. Actually, I I know uh, Marion Renault. Uh, is probably well past her expiration date, but she still has a little something there. Small, but a little something. Misha looks like a different fighter though. She looks like she's willing to get in there and land hard shots and keep the jab going, a couple of combos going. Um, She looks good. Misha has great wrestling and I think that she will be better in just every regard than Katelyn Vieira. And you know, Katelyn is riding on this two fight losing streak. And the the win that she has before that is uh what um uh Sashara Eubanks. That mm-hmm. that win does not hold up at all. At all. I just think that uh, Misha Tate is is gonna rock this thing out. I do. And if she somehow gets fast tracked to Amanda Nunez, then she's going to get her butt beat. But until that point, I think she's going to do all right for herself. So I'm taking Misha Tate.
2: I, I think it's going to be a situation where Tate is definitely going to win this, but Vieira will not make this easy. Uh, she is a sturdy athlete, she's a strong fighter, she's able to utilize her range pretty well. I just don't really think that someone who, look, no disrespect to her, but losing to Yana Kunitskaya, who's not that great. I mean, if we're doing the MMA math thing, I don't care how long Misha Tate was out prior to her return. I, I just base off of that alone. I, I no, I can't see it. I don't. I don't think that's really going to work. Um Tate has pretty much everything else. She's she's polished up her striking, and again, her defense has also uh, been markedly improved with her striking. And so it's like I, I just no, no. I, I think Vieira is going to catch her and, and stun her with a couple of shots, but you know eventually Tate will break her down and will, will take her to the mat, and then eventually work with time and not be in a hurry to get anything done, which is the worst thing that could happen to Vieira because once Tate starts feasting. It, it, it's pretty much until she feels like it's done or until the timer runs out. That's neither one of those things is good for Vieira.
0: Well, for Vieira, that Kunitskaya fight, she missed weight and she looked so sluggish that she pretty much lost a fight in which she got all the takedowns, but had such minimal, uh, minimal offense. Like She landed seven significant strikes in a 15 minute fight. And that is abysmal. And Misha Tate is going to make you work on the mat. So even though Vieira's takedown defense for the most part has been rock solid, Tate's, as as Steffi's already mentioned, a very good wrestler. And as far as the cardio, no doubt that Tate has the edge there. We've seen her literally win the UFC title in the fifth round. So for for Ketlin Vieira, I'm not confident in her 25 minute cardio when she's literally struggled to, to go 15 minutes in her last fight. So I, I got to go with Tate, Vieira has the edge on the feet, like Tate's not a, a hopeless striker by any means, but it's not something that she necessarily wants to do for a majority of the fight. Uh, and also for Vieira, another I guess not, not an analogous fight, but another fight where you can look at somebody who wanted to grapple with her, Sarah McMahon, and McMahon was winning that fight until she wasn't. And unfortunately, that describes a lot of Sarah McMahon fights. I don't think Tate is going to be in that same situation. So I'm I'm still skeptical that Tate is going to be an actual title challenger, get one last run of the belt. But I think that Caitlin Vera is a stylistically favorable fight for her. So I'm going to go with Tate by decision. I actually think that there is a possibility she could stop her by submitting her so we are all on board with tate we're also unanimous on kiesa although we don't feel great about that Uh, steffi and victor picking uh kyung ho kang over ronnie yaya we are unanimous on uh, tyler santos over joanne wood and we're unanimous but not comfortable with david grant over adrian yanez so you can read the rest of our predictions over a bloody elbow
1: and on that note, we're going to wrap up the show. Do us a favor. Follow Victor on Twitter at Vic M. Rodriguez. Follow Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. The show at Level Change Pod. Uh, myself at Crookland MMA. The show is also on Facebook, Meta, whatever they're calling it these days. And that is facebook.com slash level change podcast. Mookie is the managing editor over at SB Nation's Field Goals website. So if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, do check his work out there. Victor is the owner and operator of a fine Instagram feed where you can find lots of foodie and travel posts. And maybe even a a few MMA posts because Victor has also done the rounds doing some MMA things. So check his out at uh, Victor Sinister Rodriguez is on Instagram. And as uh, as Mookie mentioned, please listen to the pre-recorded outro because he will tell you all the other platforms that you can check out this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow Presents shows. So until next time, please stay safe.
0: Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, Hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on Apple TV, iHeart Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, the best of the Come On Now MMA podcast. Brooklyn's Corner, the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change Podcast, Show Money, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and of course, on bloodyelbow.com.